Well, before we go to Lord's Word, uh, first of all, we have the kids going in the back. Is that right? We've got children's church today. And so if kids want to go with our leaders, looks like Mrs. Smith is going to be taking the kids today. So if it's okay with mom and dad, you guys can go back there. But also, I'd like to just take some time to pray as we go to God's Word. Uh, we have a few things to give thanks for this week. Um, and so we need to be praying for one another. Um, Keith Walker uh, had a successful surgery this week, and uh, so we need to be praising God for that. He's not taking visitors and, and phone calls, but, but we, we need to give God praise for, for that successful surgery. Also, Chad's with us this morning, and uh, as I understand, Chad's heart was kind of having a party and doing some really fun stuff, and um, was more serious, I think, than most of us probably even knew, and so we're glad that Chad's with us today, and, and Robin, but, but it sounds like... Uh, Chad was the one that wasn't almost with us today, so we're thankful that, that you're doing well and, and here. And also, one of our truth singers, uh, helpers, um, uh, Megan, uh, her daughter was in a car accident last weekend, and um, I think last Sunday things were looking pretty uh, dismal. Uh, she woke up this week, though, uh, but it's going to be a long road of recovery, and so let's be praying for Denise and for Megan and their family as they go through this time of recovery and uh, a lot of the life changes that are going to come with that. And so um, let's go to our God in prayer, and come before his throne for these things. Father, we, we lift up these requests to you. Uh, there's so many others that, that we're aware of, uh, people that are, are sick and ailing, and um, we thank you that, that Chad is doing well and his procedure went well. We thank you that Keith's surgery went well as well. Um, we thank you that, that uh, Denise is awake. Um, we do pray for their family as they go through these challenges. We thank you for her service to the, the special needs community in our church and our community. Uh, we pray that you would help, help Megan to serve her daughter and to minister to her. And we pray that you give her wisdom, give their family wisdom as they navigate some of these challenges that they're going to have. Uh, Father, we pray for Cindy's mother who's been uh, struggling as well and had some issues lately and we know others are, are hurting here in our congregation, too, and we lift those up to you, and you know all those individual needs. Um, but, Lord, we believe that you are the great healer, and that if you decide to, to heal, you can do so. Um, and so we pray that your hand would be on each of these particular instances. More, more than just physical help, we pray that, that each of these things would draw people to you. We pray that each of these trials would be an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with others. And so glorify your name. Please exalt the name of Jesus Christ in them. And Father, as we turn to your word, I pray that also you would teach us uh, from the scriptures that you have given to us. We pray that your spirit would, would shed light on, on the truths that are here and the meaning that they, they have. I pray that you would be with me as I explain these, your words, but might it be your spirit who, um, who illuminates and who changes and who transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray and ask this. Amen. Well, shortly before Jesus was crucified, uh, Jesus entered the temple where he was approached by the chief priests and the elders. Matthew tells us in chapter 21 that they began to question Jesus, and they challenged him regarding the source of his authority. They asked him, where, where does your authority come from? because they didn't believe that his authority was from God the Father. 
in essence, they didn't believe that he came from God. And so the leaders of Israel rejected him outright. The leaders of Israel rejected their Messiah. And so over the course of that day, we're we're told that Jesus began to teach them in parables. And essentially, he tells them that, that the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from them, and it's going to be given to a people that would produce its fruits. In chapter 21, verse 42, Jesus quotes Psalm 118. And he said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so over that next two chapters following that quotation from that scripture, we find a series of confrontations then, because the leaders realized that in all these parables, Jesus was talking about them. And that when he quoted Psalm 118 and, and, and talked about how they had rejected the cornerstone that was given by God, they realized that he was talking about them. And so over that next two chapters, they start challenging his authority. They start asking him questions. They send different groups in, and they're trying to trick him. And they're unsuccessful in doing so. But also over the course of that conversation, it becomes clear that Jesus has rejected the leaders of Israel. And then in chapter 24, Jesus and the disciples leave the city. And in chapter 24, the passage begins with these words. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them. You see all these? Do do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. These are dreadful words. They're, They're words of judgment. They're words of destruction. They're words of God's rejection of the people that missed their Messiah. Because Jesus essentially told the chief priests that they had rejected the one who had been predicted from ancient times. And and so God, in turn, had rejected them. And the temple that they delighted in would be destroyed within the next 40 years. His prophecy of the destruction of the temple came to pass in 70 AD, about 37 years after, after Jesus' crucifixion when the Romans came in and they destroyed Jerusalem. You and I have all experienced rejection, haven't we? As we see a passage where Jesus is rejected by the leaders of Israel and and Jesus rejects the leaders of Israel, I, I think we can relate to some extent of what rejection sometimes feels like, at least in part. And we also know the value of being accepted by someone. Several years ago, I, I approached a coworker in a restaurant that I worked at. He was the person that had trained me, who really honed my skills, who took me under his wing, who really pushed me further, and, but also showed kindness to me in, in times that, um, you know, quite honestly, it was, a, it was a work environment that was cutthroat, and I was the underdog in a place where the average employee lasted about two months. That was the average. Most people were there about three weeks. Um, it was just a cutthroat place, and... Um, he was professional. He showed kindness to me. And uh, I told him once, I told him that. A- and I, I just want to say hey, thank you for how you took me under your wing. And thanks, just thanks for being a friend. But it was his next words that came back to bite me when he responded and said, Jeff, I'm not your friend. And so I smiled. We moved on. 
we continued to work together, and um, we were professional, and he continued to be kind, doing his job. But the rejection from somebody that I valued, it was felt. Just those words in that moment. I got over it pretty quick, but I remembered it, and it hurt. The initial sting of those words. And you've felt something like that. You've suffered rejection. And you've enjoyed the opposite of that. When somebody accepted you and when they embraced you and said, I love you, I care about you, you are valuable to me. And so we've all been there, haven't we? You've experienced the pain. And you've experienced the joy. As we turn to the pages of 1 Peter, we, we need to remember that Peter is writing to who? Elect exiles people who have been elected by god chosen by god but who are exiles in this world that, that whole thing speaks of rejection and acceptance doesn't it all in one small phrase they've been rejected by this world a world that is hateful towards them who probably if they weren't just exiles in this world that were longing for heaven they they may have even been exiles cast out from their homeland and sent to live somewhere else in a foreign land and so peter's letter is intended to encourage them it's intended to spur them on to holy conduct and we've seen in chapter one that he's just finished this section in which he uses all these pictures of rebirth and and of babies longing for nourishment for that pure milk and, and like that, we should be longing for the, the pure milk of God's truth, of God's word. And in chapter 2, verse 3, he ends with this allusion to Psalm 34, where he reminds them that we have tasted, what have we tasted? That the Lord is good. You tasted that truth. The Lord is good. And if you know that truth that the lord is good then the experience that he's talking about throughout chapter one is something that you know i believe that as peter was writing this this letter psalm 34 was being mulled over in his mind uh, a lot of the thoughts that he's already conveyed and a lot of things he's going to convey come back to that psalm in which he i think he was pondering these truths uh, psalm 34 starts out like this i will bless the lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Peter's echoed those words in the first chapter where he tells these elect exiles, remember, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, he reminds them in the midst of their various trials, rejoice. We, we don't think like that normally, do we? That, that's counterintuitive to pain and suffering. We don't rejoice when we hurt. But, but that's what Psalm 34 calls us to, and that's what Peter calls these believers, these elect exiles to. Rejoice. But I believe that Psalm 34 goes further than that. And after David calls for us to taste and see that the Lord is good in the Old Testament, David reminds us that we are blessed if we take refuge in him. We take refuge in our shelter, our rock. I indeed, God accepts the brokenhearted, and he rejects those who do evil in Psalm 34. And it's this theme of rejection 
that we find in the lives of these elect exiles, but also that we find in David's life in Psalm 34 that, that launches Peter into a new thought. And he's going to use a new word picture, picture. He's been talking about babies longing for milk and growing up and, and this idea of rebirth, of, of being born again. He's going he's gonna to shift pictures now. And he's going to start talking about stones. And again, remember who Peter's writing to, right? These are people who are rejected, people who've lost everything. And, and so like them, we are elect exiles who live in a hostile world. But I believe that with Psalm 34, Peter also reminds us to rejoice. He, he reminds us that we have a song to sing as we magnify the Lord and exalt his name. But all that doesn't change the fact that, that believers are elect exiles, and we do experience rejection in this world. And so I think it's this idea that causes Peter to start thinking about stones. Anybody else think about stones when you read something like that? Yeah. We have tasted that Jesus is good, but now Peter makes this shift in the conversation in which he has just called Jesus our living hope, and now he's going to say, you come to Jesus, in, and he calls him a living stone, rejected by men. You see, our Savior also knew rejection. We, we saw that in Matthew chapter 21 as we briefly surveyed that. And, and so we're in good company if we're with Jesus. He, he understands our rejection. He understands the pain that you go through in that. Back in, chapter, in Matthew, the chief priests and the elders rejected Jesus outright. They rejected his authority. They, they even accused him of being possessed by the devil himself. That's rejection. And so Jesus is acquainted with it. But now he uses this picture of a living stone, and he's going to show how Jesus, how Jesus is like a cornerstone. Uh, the cornerstone uh, of a building was this giant, hewed-out boulder. And everything else in a house would be built on, on top of that cornerstone. Uh, the cornerstone was usually the largest. It was usually the most carefully cut out and, and the most solid uh, of all the other stones in a building. Sometimes it would be just enormous. It would be sometimes bigger than, um, you know, six to ten feet even, uh, depending on your house. These stones would be huge. But this cornerstone would be the one that all the other stones were built on. This was the foundation. And he would start with that cornerstone. And if the cornerstone was off, if it was skewed, if it was flawed in any way, the rest of the building would be. And God chose Jesus to act as a living stone on which he would build a new kind of temple. You see Peter's thought? He's thinking about a passage where Jesus quoted Matt, uh, Psalm 118, uh, where Jesus was rejected, and then right in, in that same conversation, in that same day, Jesus showed how this temple that they worshipped at was going to be a place where no stone would be left on top of each other. But now Jesus says, there's a new kind of building that God is building. It's not made with bricks and, and dead stones, but living stones. And Jesus is the living stone peter was there in matthew 24 he was part of that conversation as they sat on the mountain he he heard what jesus said when jesus predicted that the temple in jerusalem would come down but now there's a new kind of temple and so the elders of israel rejected him they they rejected jesus and um but Peter says, you know what, There's, there is one whose approval is much more important. Peter tells us, look, 
Jesus may have been rejected by men, but pay attention to what God thinks. In, in God's sight, Jesus was, what does he call him here in the passage? Chosen. A living stone who was chosen and precious. He may have been rejected by men, but he has been approved by God himself. In fact, a couple times, on two separate occasions, God the Father came down and the, the, the heavens were opened briefly. And people heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now let me just tell you where Peter's going to go with the rest of this passage. Because it's kind of important that we have this bigger picture. He uses this picture, again, and he says that Jesus is a living stone. And he, he cannot, and, and, and Peter wants us to understand that, that this living stone cannot be avoided by anyone. This living stone is in your path. It is the path of every human being, every man, woman, and child. And they must decide what they are going to do with this living stone, Jesus. For everyone who comes to Jesus, and they come brokenhearted over their sin, they will find that Jesus is a foundation stone upon which everything is built. And they become part of, of a larger structure, a larger house of God that is composed of God's people. However, for those who disobey him, for those who reject Jesus, he's a different kind of stone. He's not their foundation stone, but just like the chief priests did in Matthew, all those who reject Jesus are going to find that Jesus is a stumbling stone, and they will trip over him. And in the words of Matthew chapter one eight, uh, excuse me, Psalm 118, they will be crushed. Those that are broken and fall on him will be redeemed, but those who reject him will stumble and be crushed. And so in a hostile world, it matters who you reject, and it matters who you accept for your cornerstone. And it matters who rejects you. And it matters who grants you approval. The opinion that truly matters is our Father in heaven. And above anything else peter demonstrates that jesus was chosen jesus was precious in the sight of god and so this idea of a building something that we're familiar with right we're kind of in the middle of one of our own projects um where we haven't stopped we're, we're still there's still things happening um we uh we can all relate to it right now we're in the middle of this construction project and and what we build um, is as we direct people to worship Jesus Christ, we, we want to build it well, right? Uh, and it's important to remember that, that as we do these things, um, we, we want, there, there's a lot of reasons that we're doing a lot of these projects. There's some acoustical elements to this so that people can hear better in here. It, it changes things when you have a square, uh, 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 square room that everything bounces around and you hear all these echoes. And so we're, we're addressing those things. There's, there's aesthetic things. We want this to be a warm, inviting atmosphere not only for those that come to worship together, but, but our guests and people that have never been here. And there's a lot of functional things that we're doing. How, however, the physical building that we're putting together with walls and stairs and lights, ultimately, let's remember that, that it's made of, of materials that are not living, um, and it will fade away at some point in the future. Uh, and that's okay, because this is, first of all, this isn't a temple. A, a temple I is a place where where God came to reside, and, and people came to worship him where he was at. 
and, and this is a place to worship, and we want it to be a place that reflects that it's a place of worship, but, but according to this passage and other passages, where, where is the temple today? It's in living stones. It's in people's hearts. We live in a time where, where God doesn't come to a temple and people have to go to Jerusalem to worship him, but he is building a different kind of house, and, and the Spirit has come to dwell within each one of us who have found Jesus as our cornerstone. And so he is the true temple. And so in the middle of building projects, and as, 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 um, as great as a lot of this is, we have to remember that this isn't the main thing. This is just a place where we come to worship, and, and, and it's good, but, but we can never forget that the more important thing is what Jesus Christ is doing in human hearts. And so if we make church and, and our faith and, and all that we do together about a building project, then we've missed it. Um, but what Jesus is doing is changing hearts, and, and the Spirit is making people into the image of Jesus Christ. We're becoming more like him. And so that's why Peter calls us the conduct that's holy, and he shows us that, that the real temple is made up of Jesus, the cornerstone, the living stone. And, and then he transitions in verses 5 through 9 and says it's not just the physical building and not just the cornerstone, but Peter reminds us that God is in the process of making a different kind of building, a, a, a spiritual house, that will stand the test of time. And this spiritual house, this temple, that has Jesus as its cornerstone, is living because not only is the cornerstone a living stone and not only is he chosen and precious but peter picks up the language of psalm 34 again and he notes that we come to him alluding to coming to him in faith and when we come to him in faith peter says you yourselves like living stones are being built up the temple in Jerusalem was going to be destroyed in just a few short years, probably six to ten years after Peter writes this. The Romans are going to come in. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. But in the church, God is building a new kind of spiritual house, and together we, we are the living stones. And so he, he changes his, uh, he's, he's addressing individuals in chapter one, and now he's, he's addressing the whole collective body of Christ. He's collecting, he, he's addressing a group of believers that are together, these living stones, this building. But, but not only are we the living stones, he, he kind of mixes metaphors here, and that's okay. He says, not only are you, are you the stones of the temple, but you're also the priests. You're the ones who bring the offerings. And, and it's not lambs and goats and bulls that we sacrifice, but we bring our own sacrifices of our lives. We are living sacrifice. And so we are the holy priests who offer our sacrifices to God as we live before him. But don't miss that crucial phrase at the end of verse 5. It's easy to skip over it. Don't, don't skip over it. At the end of verse 5, do you see it? We offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What, what's the theme of this whole passage? Pe people that have been rejected. And, and Jesus who had been rejected, but Jesus has now been accepted as the living stone. And like Jesus being a living stone, we also are living stones. And, and what does he say about us? If you have come to him, if you've come to him in faith, he also has accepted you. And he accepts your worship through Jesus Christ. We are accepted by God. That changes our perspective when you face rejection in this world, doesn't it? Because the one who is most important has accepted your worship. David in Psalm 34, he was himself 
in the middle of his own trials, which I think might be really significant why, Peter, why Peter's using Psalm, uh, the Psalms, and particularly Psalm 34, as he, as he talks about the various trials that these people are going through. It's a psalm where, G, where, where, where David was, was going through rejection. His own son decided, I want to be king. I don't want to wait for my dad to die. And so his own son tried killing David. And David had to leave the palace. He had to leave many of his wives. And um, he had to run away. And he was living out in the wilderness, fleeing for his life. He faced rejection from his son, from many others, who boasted over him. But yet David declares in this psalm that was written during that context, he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is what Peter says as you go through various kinds of trials. And rejoice. So we may be elect exiles in a hostile world, but we have been chosen by God and we also are precious in God's sight if you have come to him, to Jesus, as the foundation stone instead of a stone of stumbling. So that's where he's going with all of this. And let's look at this in the particulars of, of what he quotes. In verses 6 through 9, uh, Peter does something really cool with his Bible study. You can tell he's been reading the scripture and he's been meditating on the scripture. He, he's already been in Psalm 34 with us. He's already been pondering Matthew chapter 21 and 24 and, and what Jesus said there uh, among the leaders of Israel and, and as they look down on the temple. But he does something really cool here. And, and while I believe he's already thinking about these other passages, uh, he wasn't the first person to, to make the following connections because um, Paul is actually going to quote the same passages that Peter's going to quote here in Romans chapter 9, verse 33, and probably had already done so in, uh, at this time. But what Peter does in these verses, um, it, it not only was quoted by Paul, but it was probably part of a wider conversation. I, I think that the Christians um, had put together some of these passages, and they were thinking about all these Old Testament passages that talk about stones. You know, there was a stone that gave them water in the wilderness, and, and there were these psalms that talked about a, a living st a stone that had been rejected by the builders. And in fact... Um, Peter does in these verses is probably part of this wider context that's taking place in the church. Um, and, and by the way, Peter's name means what? The rock. So, you know, you got to know if P Jesus gave him that name, he might be thinking about stones and rocks a lot. Why, why did he do that? Well, how, what does the Bible say about rocks and stones? But he's the first person. Um, what Peter does is he actually connects all these passages together here for us. You want me to start the sermon over again? Uh, wrong page. Um, Peter's the first person that connects all these passages together, and all these passages fit perfectly into his conversation about rejoicing during various kinds of trials. Peter has showed us so far that Jesus is a living stone, rejected by men and accepted by God. You also, if you've come to Jesus in faith, are like living stones, and your worship is acceptable to God through Jesus. And in verse 6, he supports this by taking us to a different passage. Now we go to Isaiah chapter 28. And in Isaiah 28, 16, he quotes 
It says, uh, look at, look at the, the quotation there in your passage in 1 Peter. Do you see how God talks about this cornerstone all the way back in the Old Testament? And all the way back in the Old Testament, it was called chosen and precious. Those are the same words that Peter just used, aren't they? But note also that Isaiah declared 750 years before Jesus was rejected by the elders that, that those of you who believe, those of you who believe him will not be put to shame. It's another way of saying that your worship, because you've come to him in true faith, your worship has been made acceptable to God through Jesus. Now there's a lot more happening in Isaiah 28. I've, I've been just enjoying this passage and, and looking at how Peter uses this and contemplating some of the things that Peter might have been thinking about as he wrote this. Uh, Peter's dancing all over Isaiah 28. He's, he's all over the place there. And we won't have time to go through it all, but, but I encourage you to read it later. But that whole chapter also deals with God's judgment for those who reject God's voice. And it addresses the rest that God gives to those who believe his word. God says, I said this, and, and many people rejected it, and there's judgment coming. They, they will stumble over that stone, in essence. But, but for those of you who re re received my word, um, he gives them rest. And it's toward the middle of Isaiah 28 that the Lord declares that he is the one who lays the cornerstone, the passage that's quoted by, by Peter here. Back in 1 Peter, in verse 7, Peter notes that honor is for those who believe. And again, God accepts the worship of those who come through Jesus. But he rejects those who do not believe. And here Peter quotes that same passage from Psalm 118 that, that Jesus quoted to the chief priests. It's in the middle of Psalm 118 where Jesus and Peter take verse 22 and they apply it towards those who have rejected God's cornerstone but the rest of that psalm is also just as important uh, as that one verse the psalm begins oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good does that sound familiar we've tasted that he's good for his steadfast love endures forever. Five times in Psalm 118, the psalmist repeats, his steadfast love endures forever. And right before he declares that the builders reject the cornerstone in that psalm, he thanks God that it is the Lord who has become my salvation. And then the psalm ends with the refrain, this, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so Jesus is a foundation stone for the one who believes in him, but he's also a stumbling block for the one who disobeys. And that takes us to Peter's next passage. Because uh, next he quotes from Isaiah chapter 8. He's going to jump, jump back over to Isaiah. I, I, he must have been all over the Old Testament. How many scrolls did he have on, on his table? And uh, he notes how for those who disobey God's word, for those who reject Jesus, uh, and again, here's the quote, he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They're offended by him. For the Jews, they're, they're offended by this idea that the Messiah would be crucified. Um, the Gentiles are offended as well. 
Isaiah 8 is pretty straightforward, and there he warns Isaiah. The whole passage is about judgment on those who reject God's word. Um, but in a passage in First Peter where he's talking about giving us his word, uh, that's important. He warns Isaiah how the people hear God's word and they stumble over it. But again, in that context, Isaiah is commanded to be different from those who disobey. Isaiah is called to be holy, and so are we. We are called to be holy because our God is holy. And the Lord commands Isaiah, he says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And then it's Isaiah who then declares, I will wait for the Lord. And I will hope in the Lord. Those who disobey will stumble because they disobey God's word, just as Isaiah had prophesied they would. However, God's people who have come to Jesus as a foundation stone rather than as a stone of stumbling, he says, are different. Those who have come to him and tasted that the Lord is good are not rejected by the Lord, but he accepts us through Jesus Christ, and he accepts our worship through Jesus Christ. And, and, and then using the imagery of the Israelites who came to the Lord before Mount Sinai, Peter applies the same words to us Gentiles that he first applied to Israel as they entered into a relationship with him. And these are bold words that Peter speaks here. Because these are the words that were made when God takes Israel and says, I'm taking you as my wife. When, when they met at Mount Sinai, you ever seen a Jewish wedding? They have the, the hoopah, and they gather under this, this tent. That's what God did at the mountain. There were clouds, and he created a giant hoopah, and he says, I'm taking you, people. To be my bride and it was this covenant that he made with these people and it was this amazing wedding ceremony where god chose them and he made they were chosen race a chosen people and now peter takes that same imagery and he uses that for the church and he says you you living stones who have come to jesus the living cornerstone you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So it doesn't mean that God's done with Israel. It doesn't mean that, that they are condemned forever and that God doesn't have a plan for them anymore. But God has temporarily set aside uh, his plan with Israel and he's been doing something new for the last 2,000 years. And we get to be a part of that. He's not rejected and crushed us because we came to Jesus with broken hearts and we fell upon the cornerstone. We believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And in repentance, we came to him. And God accepted us. Peter finishes by noting the purpose for which we have been chosen as living stones. Look, look at verses 9 and 10. It's important. Because if you don't have verses 9 and 10, where does this passage lead us? Cool, look at us. Look at everything I get to enjoy. I get eternity, I get salvation, I got the Holy Spirit living in me. We are a chosen people. So we're going to go do life however we want now because we've got it made. If that's the end, then you've missed it. Verses 9 and 10 are so important because he gives the purpose for why God's done all this. He didn't just choose the Gentiles so he could temporarily replace Israel who rejected his cornerstone. Does he accept our worship just so we can enjoy his goodness and and just so we can be a special people? That's not it. Are temples built just to look pretty? Or just so the builder can say, ha ha, look what I built. 
Only if you play Minecraft. It's not the purpose. We are living stones that are built on the cornerstone of the living stone, Jesus. And as a special house, a spiritual house, we are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've been taken out of this dark realm where you were a slave to sin, and now you are owned by him and he has redeemed you. You have been chosen, elect. He called you into light. But he didn't just do that so that you can just enjoy the fruits of it. He did it so that you would proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you. Like Jesus, we are living stones. Like Jesus, you and I will be rejected by men, and we will continue to live as elect exiles in a hostile world. But also like Jesus, we are accepted by God through Jesus. He's the one that makes us acceptable by his blood, because we couldn't do it, right? None of us could make ourselves acceptable to God. It has to be through faith by grace and so our worship is acceptable through him and therefore because we have been chosen by god we now have the privilege of proclaiming god's excellencies what does that look like today this this is part of it right when you sing praises hopefully we do so you know you probably know most of these songs by now you're pretty familiar with them and what's the tendency yeah, la, 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 you know, hey, how's it doing? Hey, nice hair, you know, and, and you sing, and you're singing the song, all the words at the same time because you've, it's, it's just going through your mind and you've got it. You're not even thinking about what they're, we need to be proclaiming the excellencies of his word and part of that, of his, of his grace. And, and part of that means that, that we are thinking about the songs that we sing. When somebody's up here praying, don't, don't just close it off and, you know, oh, what am I going to do for lunch today? I wonder what to put out for fellowship. Echo those words in your heart. If you say amen, may it be because you thought about what was prayed up from this microphone and, and, and it reflects something that you agree with and you've thought about those prayers. Pay attention to what God's word says as it is preached from here. So we proclaim his excellencies and part of that takes place here when we gather together. This is an opportunity for us to praise him. You also have the opportunity to proclaim his excellencies as you go out into the world. Some of you are helping with Awana and you're listening to children that are learning their Bible verses and, and some of those kids don't know Jesus. And as you meet with them and talk with them, what are you doing? You have an opportunity to explain, well, here's what John 3.16 means. Here's what Romans 3.23 means. And, and you have the opportunity to share the gospel. I, I always loved the story of that kid that came to VBS. Remember him, Cindy? And we had a, a cross up on the wall. And, and this kid had never been to church before. He had never heard of jesus other than a swear word and, and he asked did he ask you or somebody else he asked sherry he said what's what's that plus sign that you guys have on your wall everywhere what an opportunity to tell him the glory of the cross and what jesus has done for us we have opportunities to share the gospel so whether it's at awana whether you're helping us true singers wherever you are whether it's you're having your neighbor over for a barbecue and, and you just are building that relationship these are all opportunities for us to proclaim the excellencies of our god and he has called you to that you're not a christian just so that you can be part of a, a bigger 
church, a, a living building in which his spirit resides and, and you just get all the benefits of it. It's our job to proclaim who he is and how marvelous he is. Peter alludes to Hosea here at the end, and it's a beautiful quote, a beautiful what he does here. He points out that we are now God's people. And in Hosea chapter 1 and 2, there's this whole passage about Hosea names his kid, his kids. And they're really weird names. I mean, you always thought the names that I suggested for my children were strange. Um, Angie didn't accept any of those, so they never got those names. You know, Mephibosheth and Zerubbabel. Um, I don't know. They're good names. They're Bible names. But Hosea named his kids some stuff, and it's like Mahar al-Shashbaz. And it means not my people. His children, I mean, it, it wasn't their dad preaching making the children an illustration in the service, which is bad enough, although they get ice cream when I do that and don't ask. They were the illustration. He named them, and they were a lifelong illustration because God said, I want you to name your son this. I want you to name your daughter this. And it's going to be an illustration to the people how I've rejected them. So how would you like to go around being called not my people? Or your name means no mercy. And throughout that process, Hosea chapter 1 and 2, um, they come to the point where God says, I will take those who were once not my people, and now they shall be my people. I will take those who didn't have mercy, and he changes their name to mean mercy. That's my paraphrase of the passage. A and now Peter applies that to you. People who were Gentiles that weren't part of Israel, that didn't, they weren't God's people, but now he has made you his people. We once did not have mercy, but because we have believed in him, we have received mercy. So my friends, let us give thanks to the one whose steadfast love endures forever. In the words of Psalm 34, let us declare, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. In the words of Psalm 118, may we proclaim, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. With Isaiah in Isaiah 8, may we cry out, I will wait for the Lord, and I will hope in him. And with Israel in Exodus chapter 19, let us all answer together, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And again with Peter. Let us shout out, blessed be the name, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And in verse 6, let us all proclaim, rejoice.